0: This is the ministry from Sovereign Grace Reformed Church in Tiverton, Devon, United Kingdom. Well, once again dear church family, this Lord's Day we be considering Esau's despising of his birthright. And why that was the case. Why did Esau despise his birthright? We'll be of course looking at the clear warning that this represents to us from Holy Scripture. Well of course most of us are very familiar with that passage of Holy Scripture concerning Esau's selling on his birthright to his younger brother Jacob. The question is, really, is do we understand what it represents? Do we understand what it represents? Have we applied the truth of God's word, in this respect, to our hearts? After we can come to a passage of Holy Scripture like this, and we can read it, and we, we cannot, we, we don't, we can sometimes not allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to apply it to our heart. You see, unless we apply the truth of Scripture to our hearts, it will do us no good. Well, with this in mind, let us firstly consider the significance of the birthright. So firstly, the significance of, of the birthright. The birthright in those days was a much cherished thing. And it was much cherished, particularly amongst God's people, God's covenant people, Abraham and Isaac, because it not only came, of course, with a double portion of inheritance for the firstborn, we know that from Deuteronomy 21.17 but more so because it came with the great spiritual heritage contained within it. That was the the great uh, blessing, the spiritual heritage behind it. Not so much the double portion, because it was the firstborn who was the the initial strength of the family, and so that firstborn would be given the responsibility to, to lead the family as it were, But it was more so the spiritual heritage contained within the the blessing, the firstborn. You see, in the Abrahamic family tree is, is where the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from. And those who would inherit the birthright were given peculiar spiritual blessings according to the promises of God. These blessings typically gave the right for the firstborn, for the the, the one who inherited the blessing, the right of being the head or the priest and lead of the family, typically a generational family, a clan or a, a peoples. And what we've got to do is think of the patriarchs in this respect and think of Joseph, how Reuben, he was the firstborn, wasn't he? But he was denied. That's right, wasn't he? Because really he didn't cherish the spiritual heritage because of his wickedness. And so we see that often God uh, blessed those who actually uh, value, by faith, this birthright. And we think of people like uh, Job, for instance. Job woke up early in the morning and he prayed, did not he, for his children And he offered a sacrifice for his children. He he had the office of a priest, as it were. Offered an atonement for his children and acted as a priest. It also gave the privilege, amongst many other blessings, of being a communicator of divine secrets as well. And again, we think of Joseph and the patriarchs in this respect. How Joseph was able to interpret dreams. And we think of the patriarchs as well. And they were then able to communicate the divine secrets to God's people. And so great spiritual excellency and dignity and power from God was attached to this birthright. Both, Both Esau and Jacob would have known this. They would have known this. They would have been taught this. They would have been taught that through the promises of God, through Abraham, through Isaac that the saviour of the world would come. And so great eternal blessings were attached to the birthright. So the birthright, friends, was no small thing. It was no small thing. Because by faith it contained within it wonderful eternal promises. Wonderful eternal promises. It was the spiritual heritage which Abraham and Isaac looked for. Hebrews 11 says, a city which had foundations is build and make it as God. They, that's what they sought. They wanted spiritual blessings, a spiritual heritage. Remember Abraham, how he was so willing to give up the land to Lot. He wasn't interested in, in a, a, an earthly he- heritage, as it were. It was a spiritual heritage, which meant everything to him. They confessed themselves, didn't they? They confessed themselves, the patriarchs, to, to be strangers and pilgrims on earth. They walked by faith, didn't they, in God's promises. They sought a spiritual heritage. And so why are we told here in Genesis 25, 34, that Esau despised his birthright? The significance birthright, this birthright that came with great spiritual blessings, why is it that he despised it? He should have wanted to be, that it was his for the taking. He, he should have decided that, that I can, I can lead God's covenant to people. Well, the simple answer behind that, dear church family, is because of unbelief. It's because of unbelief. You see, Esau, dear friends, really despised the promises of God. He despised the promises that God made to Abraham. He was living a faithless life, living in unbelief. That's the simple answer. Despite being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses of God's people all around him, he was living in unbelief. His He still gave his heart to the sensual, to the carnal, to the lust of the eyes, to carnal appetites, opposing a life of faith, opposing as the spiritual heritage. He just gave his heart to the carnal. He valued the matters of the flesh more than the matters of the soul. He valued that of the world more than that of heaven. You see, dear friends, he was living in unbelief. And I wonder whether this is true of any of us gathered here today. Despite being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the means of grace all around you, and yet deep down you're not really living for the matters of your soul, the promises of God, for Christ. You're not like Jacob, a seeker, seeking after them like Jacob. You're really, despite all these means around you, you're still really very much in the world, living in unbelief. That is very possible, friends. You can be part of a Bible-believing church, you can can have uh, a Christian mum and dad, but you can still very much be living for the ideals of this world. And that was Esau. Esau was living in unbelief. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau and Jacob here really are representative characters here. They are representative characters. Esau typifies and is a picture of the unbeliever. And Jacob, of course, is a picture of the man of faith. The one who is truly seeking, by faith, to get right with God. Holding to the promises of God. Now friends, what are are the telling signs of unbelief like Esau? Because we see very clearly here, there are telling signs of unbelief. What are those signs? Well, sign number one is a complete disregard for the holy law of God. That is, of course, an evident sign of unbelief. a, A disregard for the holy law of God. We read earlier in Hebrews twelve sixteen about Esau in particular, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Esau despised God's holy law. He did not esteem the law of God. Remember, they were a peculiar people. God had separated them that he had been diligently taught from a young young age the value of the holy law of God. That it is their, it it would be their teacher, as it were, to convict them of their sin and would be their schoolmaster, as it were, to show them of their need of the Saviour. The law of God was paramount. It was instrumental in this. And he would have been taught that. And yet he disregarded, regarded the holy law of God. And in Genesis 26, 34 through 35, we are told that when Esau was 40 years old, he took to himself two Hittite wives. He departed from his father's and his mother's example. There are a one-woman man, as it were, and he took to himself two wives. And this was strictly forbidden. to to do this, it was strictly forbidden to take Canaanitish wives because they were ungodly women. They were worldly women. They were women that worshipped false gods and deities who would have taken him even further away from the true God. And yet, you see, friends, he had a low view of God's word and God's promises. And so he took to himself these two ungodly, uh, ungodly women, these Canaanitish women, who would have taken him even further away from the, from the Lord God and his promises. And this we know from Holy Scripture was a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. And so the sign number one, friends, of unbelief, despite maybe even having a, a profession, was he had a very light view of the Holy Law of God. Now friends, the the very dangerous teaching of the antinomians is very prevalent in our society today, and even amongst many who profess to be Bible-believing Christians. 1 John 5 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You see, for the true believer in Christ, or the true seeker in Christ, God's commandments are, are no longer grievous because they have the Saviour in their hearts and their lives. You see, to, to Esau, the promises of, of God through Abraham, uh, the, the, the commandments, they were grievous to him. They were grievous to him. I just want one to... I want to be able to do these things. I don't want to obey my father and my mother and this. I don't want to more so obey the word of God. He expressly went against not only his father and his mother's wishes, but against the word of God. You see, true conversion in Christ makes the law honourable. The law becomes honourable. We know that the law cannot save us to keeping of the law. But if we are truly converted... The law becomes honourable, it becomes like David, a delight, I delight in the law of God. Because we have Christ in us, there is a, a, a meditating day and night upon the law of God. His commandments are no longer grievous, true conversion makes the law honourable, grace makes people holy, that's what it does in Christ, mortification dear friends, is what what happens. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Sanctify. Being sanctified by the word of God. This is what happens when we have Christ in our hearts. And friends, I'm sorry to say that in much of our Christianity nowadays, the Lord, the 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 Holy Lord of God is completely disregarded. Well, I'm I'm in Christ. I'm not saved. I don't have to worry about the Lord. So it means nothing to me. Well, I can go shopping on the Lord's Day. I can meet up with worldly friends, hang out with them. You see, the, the, that, dear friends, is a, is a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of unbelief. A complete disregard. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian, yes, of course, but, I'm, but I can still live in the world. I can still disregard God's holy commandments. That's unbelief. That's unbelief, friends. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation, and listen to this: a peculiar people, a peculiar people. Yes, a peculiar people in the New Testament church, a peculiar people, not just in the Old Testament, in the in the New Testament church, and people who love Christ, who have been shown of their great sin and their need of the Savior that hold by faith to the promises of God, who love God's law and who love God's people. And so sign number one, friends, like Esau, is that of unbelief. It has a low view of the law of God. And that is very evident. If people say, well, I'm a Christian, but they just have a complete disregard for the law of God. Living in sin, living in law-breaking, that's a sign that that person has yet to be converted. Sign number two of unbelief, like Esau, is that of restlessness, restlessness. And this was me for many years before I was converted. I was incredibly restless. This world was my playground. I sported with the things of this world, like Esau. We're told in Genesis 25-27 that Esau was a cunning hunter, whereas Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. The, the, the contrast yet could not be any different, could it? Spiritually speaking, dear friends, the contrast was the same. Now let me just make this point. Now this is not to say that if you're a farmer, or if you work in the field, or even if you're a hunter, that you're an ungodly man. You can be a God-fearing man if you work in the field, or even if you're a hunter. It could be, be the other way around. But the spiritual contrast, which the Holy Spirit is putting here, in this text in particular, is, is absolutely telling of Esau's spiritual character and Jacob's character. So let me say that. The, the, the Holy Spirit is saying that the, the, the description of Esau here is likened to his spiritual character, and Jacob's character is likened to, to, to the, 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 what is described of him. Esau is described as a cunning hunter and Jacob a plain man dwelling in tents. Esau was a restless man. He was always on the move as a hunter. He was a spiritual risk taker. He was a thrill and pleasure seeker who lived by his sword by his own words, by his own cunning, and not the word of the living God. He did not seek to be conformed by faith to God's word. He lived by his own sword, by his own opinions, by this world's ideals. Always on the move, always restless, as it were. Never settled in the faith, never taking hold upon the word of God. A stranger to God's peace. Only two men in the whole of scripture are termed with the name Hunter. Hunter. And that's Esau, and that's also Nimrod as well. If you know anything about Nimrod, we know how godly he was in, in building that city. It really reveals their true spiritual nature and character. They were both living in unbelief. In God's Word. They were restless. As hunters, their time was spent chasing creatures and not the Creator. Not looking to the Creator. They chased and sported with creatures, creature comforts. They were restless. And friends, perhaps the same is true with us. Perhaps there are those here today you are restless. You're just chasing the things of this world. Despite an outward profession, you can can have all the outward garments, you can do all these things, but in your heart, you're restless. Still chasing earthly ideals. Still living in unbelief. Still really giving, prizing, worldly things. Worldly ideals over that of the soul and eternity. Like a hunter, you're restless. You're seeking... Creature comforts. You're sporting with the things of this world. You're living by your sword, by your own cunning. I'm going to make my own way in life, by my own cunning, by my own talents, my own gifts. That is opposite to the Word of God. We need to utterly depend upon the Word of God and be conformed to it. Not by our our gifts, not by our talents, not by our intellects. That, That opposes the Word of God. We need to live by the promises and the word of God. That's what Jacob did. By faith, he sought the promises of God. He did not live by his sword. He did not live by his own cunning, his own talents. He lived by the word of God. He sought it. He wasn't yet converted, but he he was a seeker. By faith, he, he saw his father's faith. He saw his mother's faith. He believed in the promises of God and he sought it. And we know later on that he found it, he was truly and soundly converted. Sign number three of unbelief. So we thought about the signs, the the first sign, of course, of unbelief. We thought about the restlessness, uh, and uh, we think of the third sign here of unbelief, like Esau, is that of worldliness. Worldliness. We're told in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-seven again that Esau was a man of the field. The Holy Spirit here is again is telling us something. Is, is that his his description here is likened to his spiritual condition? He was a man of the field. Again, the contrast here cannot be any different. According to Christ's words in Matthew's Gospel thirteen thirty-eight. The field is a picture of this world. The field is a picture of this world, according to Christ's own words in Matthew 13 38. Esau was a man of the world. He was a worldly man, in contrast to Jacob, who was a pilgrim, living in tents, as it were, a plain man, like a pilgrim. The word plain here means upright. It means upright. Jacob, by faith, Dear friends, he was living by faith, seeking to get right with God, seeking the promises of God, whereas, whereas Esau was a man of the field. He was a worldly man, a worldly man. Jacob valued the word of God. Jacob valued the, the matters of the soul, the matters of eternity, more than this present world. Hence, that's why he sought the birthright that Esau despised. That's what it is. He sought the the, the birthright that Esau despised because he valued the matters of eternity, Christ and his soul, whereas Esau didn't. Is this true of us, dear friends? Do we truly value the word of God for our lives? Do we truly uh, value the matters of our souls, and that of eternity, more than the things of this world? Do we prize, do we prize that uh, the matters of Christ, and of his words, and of the soul, and of eternity? Or do we prize the things of this world more? Esau as a worldly man returned from the field, hungry and faint, because he found no venison. And such is ever the case of the world living. They come as it were from the world, this world, and they always end up disappointed. It's the, it's the same case. It was the same of me before I was converted. And it's the same of every unbeliever. They, kept, they come from the, the field of this world, empty-handed, as it were. All their cunning, living by the sword, all their gifts and talents, all the things they give their heart to, in the end, it will leave them disappointed, like Esau coming from the field, disappointed, all their talents, all their gifts coming to nothing. Vanity and vexation of spirit is the only portion for those who seek contentment under the sun. Esau says to Jacob in Genesis 25-32, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? It's obvious that Esau wouldn't die if he didn't eat that stew, that pottage. He He said, what profit shall this birthright do unto me? He says it with contempt. This significant birthright, this birthright which came with all these spiritual blessings with this wonderful heritage, it could have been his, for the taking, all the means of grace were upon him, but he talks of this birthright. With content, contentment, this birthright, what's it gonna do? What's it gonna do good for me? What Esau was really saying was this: I cannot live my promises. Give me something to eat, give me something tangible. I want to eat and live and eat and drink and be merry, as it were. I need something tangible, I need something for I can't live my promises. That's what he's saying. A carnal man worldly man, a restless man an unbelieving man a man who despised the law of God and the promises of God. I need something tangible I can't live by promises that's what he was saying this birthright what, what profit shall this birthright do to me? Friends, many many professors of Christianity act in the same way The word of God is just not enough. The word of God is just not enough for them. I need something tangible. I need a special new revelation. I need some special healing. I need a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need some new prophecy. I need like Thomas to thrust my fingers into the sides. I need something tangible. I cannot live by the promises of God by faith. That's what our Christianity has come to in the West, hasn't it? So worldly, so restless, so unbelieving, as it it were. It's not walking by faith in the promises of God. I need something more than the word and the promises of God. It's not enough. This is what our worldly, unbelieving, restless and law-hating, nominal Christianity in the West would have you believe. And it is a departure. It is a departure from simple, Jacob like faith and belief that takes hold upon God's promises in Christ by faith. The faith once delivered to the saints that has been upheld for these thousands of years now. And as we were departing from that, I need something more. I want something additional, as it were. And whether you're the oldest or you're the youngest, know assuredly that it is our sin. It is our sin that will cut us off from the birthright of God's salvation. That's what it is. That's what it was for Esau. It was a sin. He he had a low view of the law of God, of breaking God's law. I wonder if this is true of us. We've got a low view of God's law, we don't believe it to be God's law. We break it with abandon. I don't, I don't mind if I disrespect my mother or my father. I don't mind if I break God's holy day and I just go out shopping with my mates or just do this and that. I love you are the Lord of God. That's all the society we're living in. Like I said, whether you're the youngest or you're the oldest, no assurance that it is our sin. It is our sin that will cut us off from the birthright of God's salvation, of being born again, of the Holy Spirit of God. This is what Jacob sought. He sought that. And he sought it, yes, in a, in a, in a wrong way. We, we, we know evidently that Jacob and Rebecca deceiving their father and doing that was wrong. We know that from the Scriptures. But you see, God saw their heart, desire. They wanted. They wanted the right thing. And Rebecca, of course, um, uh, Isaac, in this part of his life, and we see Isaac in this part of life, was, was, uh, his faith really was shocking. The, re- the rest of his life was pretty much great but the, at the end of his life, there's actually, actually a great compromise here. Yeah? But Rebecca, you see, Rebecca really comes into her own here. Yeah? Her heart mm-hmm. is so very much for the Lord here. Yeah? And so is also... Um, Jacob, But the way they did it was wrong, but God saw their heart's desire. You see, friends, your sin, my sin, must be seriously repented of. We must take sin seriously. We must take God's law-breaking seriously. God's promises in Christ must wholeheartedly be taken hold of and believed in. The matters of the soul and eternity must be prized over the flesh and this world. That's what we saw in Jacob. Don't be an Esau. Don't be an easel. Don't despise secretly the word of God. It's possible. Lot's wife did it. It's possible to have all the means of grace, have a great cloud of God's means upon you, and secretly in your heart you despise the word of God. The promises of God. Don't be an easel. Death is coming to all of us. You're cunning. The, the, the things of this life, you may be very cunning, like a cunning hunter, like Easel. You may be talented. You may be beautiful or strong. All these things you may have many gifts. Intellectual gifts, career, whatever it may be. You may have much cunning about. But those things we cannot save your soul. Death is coming to each and every one of us. Judgment is coming Your cunning cannot save you. An outward profession cannot save you. Good manners, kindness, all these things cannot save you. Only by virtue of a second birth, being born again, can you become a true child of God and a partaker of the heavenly blessings. You must be born again. You must have a new principle and love put within you, wrought by the Holy Spirit, and, and that means that you must be very serious about your sin, about your law-breaking, and take hold upon the promises of God by faith, like Jacob did. He was a seeker. Yes, he did it in a, in a wrong way, but he was a seeker. And God made him, for many years, he felt, of course, the, the because of his deception, he was, he was brought through all that difficulty, but in the end, he was converted because by faith he trusted his promises, he valued the matters of the soul and eternity. And so, only by virtue of a second birth, being born again, can you become a child of God and be a partaker of the heavenly blessings. And I'll just read Romans 8 14 to 18 in this regard For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, friends, like I said, the Holy Scripture doesn't approve the way Jacob and Rebecca deceived their father, but it does approve on their heart's desire. That, that it was Jacob and Rebecca's heart's desire to take hold upon the promises of God by faith. And friends, it's true of all of us today, if that is our, our, our number one hope, that we're putting our trust in Christ alone, nothing else, in, in alone, we're seeking his face, we're seeking his blessing, we're not putting our trust in our own cunning, our own talents, our own gifts, or anything else, well then, dear friends, we will have this blessing upon us. We will experience and no doubt many have experienced a new birth here by putting all our trust and faith upon Christ and being born again of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, I really hope and pray, dear friends, that all gathered here today and all that will listen to this message will know of that, that, that new birth in Christ. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Teverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.